This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Everybody, welcome all our Torah Anytime viewers. Tonight we are learning to Yecheskel Ben Tzila, to David Ben Nasria, and to Shira Bat Batya. Okay, so new, 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 new series. Um, I don't know why I said new three times. Um, uh, you know, sort of like stuck, like, you know, like a repeat. Um, because in reality, it's, it's kind of a continuate, it's, not a continuation of what... So we just did 32 classes on proving God and proving the Torah. Now, what do we do after? That was like... We didn't even begin the foundation of where we're going to in my, my, my big plan. You know, like where I hopefully, you know, Bezat Hashem with God's help, you know, be able to go and bring this. Um, uh, we started off with the idea of an understanding that there must be a God and there must be religion. And the, the, the correct religion must be the Torah. Again... You have 32 classes to listen to if you want to uh, follow up with it. Um, if I may say so myself, it was kind of good, um, it, you know, if I can say. Uh, and I would strongly recommend uh, listening to it. In fact, I would go on to say it's probably my most important of all my classes. Out of all my 30, out of all my classes that I've ever gave, these 32 definitely go in the top 32. Um, and uh, the idea is, is that now that you have the understanding that there must be a God and there must be a Torah. Now, where do we go from there? So there, where we're going from here is, is something that is extremely important. It's known as the Shosha Asayikarem. This is the 13 principles of faith that Maimonides sort of put together as the 13 principles of faith. By the way, just so that we, uh, you know, it's it's really apropos because tonight is the Rambam, Maimonides' Yerzeit. Chaf Tevet, the 20th of Tevet, is Maimonides' uh, Yerzeit. And it also happens to be the time that we're starting the 13 uh, principles of, uh, you know, of faith. So... Anybody know where Maimonides is buried? In Israel, Tveria. Very good. Oh, excellent. Very good. Is that rage or is that is that? Right? Yeah. Oh, okay. Good. Excellent. Um, a, uh, you know, if you do go to Israel, I very strongly recommend that you visit uh, that uh, grave, uh, as amongst you know many other thousands of graves that are important to uh, visit uh, there. Okay, so. He put. He didn't write. Like he put it together. I mean, he he penned it. Yeah, but. It's not like he made it up. He brought it in from, and we'll try, we'll try to bring sources for everything that, uh, the reasons where he came into, into being. The importance, I cannot even begin to specify the importance of the 13 principles of faith. Uh, you know, when converts go to convert to Judaism, they have to know these 13 principles of faith. Uh, needless to say, the J- Jewish people that were born Jewish need to know the 13 principles of faith. Now, I'm not going to test anybody because I've tried this before with the Ten Commandments and it didn't go as well as I have anticipated. So, uh, but, but it, fairly to say, it is so important to the extent that if somebody does not even believe in one of these, in one of these 13 principles of faith, he has no, or she has no share in the world to come. Now, let me repeat that in case that wasn't clear. If you don't even believe in one of these, you have no share in the world to come. You get separated from the Jewish nation. Now, if you do, if you believe in these 13 and you do the worst sin, you know, whatever, non-kosher, any of the worst sins, you're going to get punished for that unless you do tshuva. But at the same point in time, you have a share in the world to come. But if you don't believe in these 13 foundations, you're done. There's nothing to talk about. Like, the conversation is over before it began. So, this is important, is, is not even a beginning of an understatement. It's, it's an understatement to say that it's important. This is the foundation of the foundation, and if you don't believe this, you have to, like, change your entire outlook and look into it. So, uh, you know, the, the idea with this is that, <clears throat> even more so, even 
if you didn't know this and it was no fault of your own, like you had no, it, it wasn't your fault, you didn't know, you weren't raised this way, it doesn't matter. And I'll give you an, an example. The Raivin goes and asks a question like this. He says, let's say, you know, one of the 13 principles of faith is, uh, spoiler alert, in case you didn't know this, is that God has no body. Um, this should not be a spoiler alert, actually, you should know this. Uh, God has no body. Now let's say somebody reads the Torah, and he reads it literally, and it says literally that God has what? God has, you know, a strong hand with looking through God's eyes. You think of it like God has a body. And so it's this person, you know, he just read the Torah and he's just interpreting it literally. Is it his problem? Is it his fault that now he realized, like, one of the 13 principles that God has no body. Now he, he thinks of it, God has the body. Now he has no share in the world to come. So does that make sense? Says the Rambam, yeah. He has no share in the world to come, meaning that it doesn't matter the reason of why you don't know it. So let's say somebody doesn't know a teaching of a certain sage. So you have to learn it. Somebody doesn't even know a mitzvah. Okay, they have to learn it. But if you don't know these 13, it doesn't matter the reason. You can't be like, well, God, I'm sorry, I didn't know. You know, like it doesn't work that way. These 13, you have to know. Importance is understood? Okay. Okay, very good. Now... You know, I was thinking, I, we weren't going to obviously get, this is going to be a smaller series than my last one, which was uh, 32, but uh, it's still going to be a few classes. And I was thinking, you know, it's only fear after that type of introduction, I should give you all the 13, at least like a brief summary of it, because, you know, you know, you know God forbid somebody's maybe not be able to come back next week or the week afterwards. So at least you'll have, I'll give you a basic understanding on the 13, uh, a paraphrasing if I may. And I'm sorry for this, I'm going to have a, yeah, I'm not going to tell you. You know, people that just listen to this on audio have no clue what just happened. Um, what can I tell you? Watch it. I don't know. Um, okay. Now, there are... Can we split... Uh, let's try to split into two, 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 two uh, sections. There is a foolish sin, a silly sin, if you want to be a little bit cleaner. And then there is an insane sin. Uh, now, there's no smart sin. There's, there's no... You know, like I always tell people, if you're doing something bad, if you're doing a sin, do it smart. That doesn't mean that the sin is smart it's in itself. That means is, don't play with fire. You know, these 13 are fire. These 13 you don't want to play with. So what are these 13? So let me paraphrase the, the 13 principles of faith that Maimonides, uh, you know, brought down. And Bezalel Shem, over the next coming weeks, we'll go and go into the depths of these and try to understand it with a lot more uh, clarity than we will have with just a brief understanding. Number one is that God is, I'm going to say just in English, God, one of the things that I learned and when you speak Hebrew... It's Hebrew is sort of like an allergic reaction uh, that people have to. Yeah, it's just like it's like automatic. The second I start saying like, like the most I can get is like Baruch Hashem, Bezrat Hashem, and you know, like you got like two letters of Judaism of Hebrew, we're okay. But like when we go like to three and above, it's all of a sudden it's like I could be saying anything and everyone's like this, and all of a sudden I say like three Hebrew words and it's like I'm like I'm like. Oh. What just happened? You know, there's a cloud moving, you know, moving by. So, uh, that being said, I'm going to just use the, the English, um, you know, and again, I'm paraphrasing. I'm not using the direct, uh, you know, translation of this. So, number one. Number one is God is a creator and a guide. This is a very, very important aspect that we're going to speak about with today. Now, in part of number one is that he alone has made makes and will make all things. Everything is that was made was under was was from God. That's number one. Number two, God is one and alone. 
He was, is, and will be. Some of these things you might not comprehend to the extent of it. Just bear with me. We're just doing a brief, uh, you know, understanding of it. Number three is that God doesn't have any goof, doesn't have any material existence. He has nothing. There's no no such thing as God with an eye, an arm, a strong arm. That's something that we used to understand it. We'll explain it when we get to that. But excuse me, God has no no uh, no material existence. Number four, God is the first and the last. Number five, the only one that it is possible to pray to is God and no one else. Number six, God communicates through prophecy. Number seven, the 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 father of the prophets, the greatest prophet that ever lived and ever will live was, will be Moshe Rabbeinu. Moses. Moses was the greatest prophet that ever was and ever will be. Number eight, the whole Torah that we have now is the Torah, the, the complete Torah that was given to Moshe Rabbeinu. Number nine, the Torah will never, ever, 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 ever be changed. I think that was clear. Number ten, God knows your deeds and your thoughts. Yeah, God knows your thoughts. Uh, God knows if you're a psycho or not. Okay, God knows your thoughts. Number eleven, this is the idea of reward and punishment. People, um, I... I I'm hesitant to say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. People are, you know, more speakers tend to refrain from this, uh, the number 11, is if God rewards people that listen to him and he punishes people that don't listen to him. Again, God rewards people that listen to him and he punishes people that don't listen to him. People, you know, now in our liberal day and age, um, people, you know, like, oh, punishment, let's not speak about the bad, let's only speak about the good. Let's speak about the truth. You know, how about that? The truth is that if you do good, according to the Torah, you will get rewarded. You do bad according to the Torah, not according to the liberal-minded, you know, Americans or anything else. I'm an American, whatever. Uh, the truth is not, I'm a Jew. Um, I'm going to stop right there because I'm about to go on a way off tangent. Okay. Number 12. The number 12 is the belief of the arrival of the Mashiach. Uh, we are 100% not talking about uh, the Christian Mashiach, uh, because there's no such thing, but we're talking about uh, the Jewish Mashiach that is 100% that, that Mashiach will come. And number 12, uh, number 13, I'm sorry, is the resurrection of the dead. That, those are that it will happen. These are the 13 principles of faith. What was number six? Number six was that God communicates through prophecy. Now, We'll speak about it, why this is so important and the, the, the level of actually importance that that, that that one actually is. But we'll speak about that when we get to it. Now, that was the Rambam. What the Rambam did is he took, he took the fundamentals of Judaism and he, and he broke it down into 13 principles. Rav Yosef Albo, in the Sefer HaIkarim, he, he took that thir- he took the idea of the 13 principles, the fundamentals, uh, the fund- the, the foundations, better yet, of Judaism, and he split it, instead of into 13, into three. Very simple. Very easy to remember three. Number one is the existence of God. Number two is the belief in the Torah. Number three is reward and punishment. And these three are sort of branched off in the, you know, in the Rambam's 13 principles of faith. In fact, the first five of the 13 principles of faith are referring to the, um, the understanding, the belief of the reality of the creator, of God. The next four is concerning the Torah. And the final four is the reward and punishment. So we can also, you know, we can break it off into three. Well, we're going to go through the 13. So now, Rabbi Yosef Abo, and he's uh, in the book Sefer Haikarim. So now, when the, um, you know, people, by the way, this is just a, a nice tidbit of information. Anybody know the prayer? I hope you guys know Yigdal. Yigdal, Yeah, you guys know from Melada? That is also the 13 principles of faith. If you, if you put it together, it's all the 13 principles of faith in a uh, song uh, version. The, um, 
But when we say the, the 13 principles of faith, you have many, many Jews that go and they say this every single day. And it starts off with, anybody know? Animamin. Don't be nervous. Okay. There's no wrong answer here. Only, only an idiotic person. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, what? Yeah. Animamin be'emunah shlema. That's how it starts with. Animamin, I believe be'emunah shlema. Anybody know what be'emunah shlema means? Complete, what? Faith. Faith. Okay, so now let's try to understand this. What does it mean, complete faith? Animamin, I believe with complete faith. If you realize, faith and I believe with complete, it sort of doesn't like make 100% you know, sense. And in fact, it shouldn't because when, it deal, when you're dealing with emunah and you're saying faith, not the best translation. Uh, and, and, you know, it happens when you're dealing with a Hebrew language, Lashon HaKodesh, and you're trying to translate it to an English language, not always do you get a correct translation. Uh, this is why also you have people that they use a, the, when they're learning Torah, they're learning only an English translation on it, you're not getting the true depth of it. You're getting an understanding of it depending on which version of the translation. If you're using King James Bible, you know, then forget about it. You're not even learning the Torah. You know, like if you're using the art school version, so then you're getting the understanding of the Torah, but you're not understanding the, 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 there's things that I get lost in translation. Anybody here, I know for, you for sure a few here speak different languages, right? Have you ever had a joke that you say in your language and then you translate it and then you look like the biggest fool? You're like, you know, like in Russian, you know, a man works into a bar and he orders a vodka. And that's like funny in Russian. And you translate and everyone's laughing. And there's like one Russian friend's like, what did you just say? It's like, this is a hilarious joke. You gotta listen to this. A man walks into a bar and as you're saying it, you're like, this is not funny. You know, this is it's like, you gotta understand it in the mother language. You know, like you can't understand it in that thing. The same thing in, in, in the Torah. You know, you know, like to, to an extent that you're losing so much in the translation. But the, the emunah, the emunah really, what we're referring to emunah shlema, it means complete faith. That, that doesn't mean faith as in, I don't understand, but I must believe in faith. It means that I understand with complete knowledge. I understand with 100% knowledge that the 13 principles of faith, and, he, and each and every single one. Now, there are certain things that go beyond uh, knowledge. There are certain things that we can't comprehend. The, that's when... Faith begins. So where knowledge ends, that's where faith begins. But for the basic understanding, and again, I, I'm underlining and highlighting and whatever other you know fonts I could put in the you know in in this is the basic understanding of the thirteen principles of faith. It's knowledge. You know this. Once you go deep into it, you will, which we'll soon see, that's when that's when faith comes into play. Now. Emunah, the word emunah, it's actually brought down in the Torah. In Exodus chapter 17 verse 12, it speaks about Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu was, was, you know, you guys know the story where his hands were up, and his hands were tired, when they were in the war, right? And the, Moshe Rabbeinu, his hands was up, the, the Jewish people were winning. When his hands were down, the Jewish people were not winning. Um, again, you want to look at the full story, go look at the source. But the, the, you know, the, the, what happened was is that you know, Aaron and Chor, what, what they went in is they put, a, they put a stone under him. He sat on the stone and Aaron and Chor each held up one of his hands. Now the Pasuk, how does the Pasuk end? The Pasuk ends, And his hands were emunah until the sun came up. Until the sun, uh, until sunset, I'm sorry, until sunset. What does that mean? And his hands were emunah. His hands were with faith until, what is that? That doesn't make sense when you translate emunah and faith. His hands were with faith until the sun, until the sunset. What it means is, it, the, the idea of faith, which is a more correct understanding, is being faithful. Meaning that, even though something is hard, something is difficult, something you don't understand, you stick through it, 
even though it looks unlikely or it looks very difficult to complete, that's sticking through it. That's the emunah. Which means is that Moshe Rabbeinu, his hand was, st- was stayed up, even though it looked difficult, it looked hard, it looked that he wasn't able to do it, his hand stayed up until, the, until sunset. Now, this is the idea. You have knowledge. Once you have the knowledge, it takes you up to a certain point. After that, our brains can't comprehend everything. That's where knowledge takes the back seat and faith takes the, the driver's seat. This is where faith, where faith kicks in. And to understand this is like, Think of the idea that we used before that God has no body. Now, especially in the Christian sense or in any comic book sense, you see God. For some reason, when I think of a, a secular version of God, there's one picture that comes into mind that I remember from, like, I don't know, in the ancient years when I used to read, like, there used to be, I don't know if they still have it in newspapers. They used to, I haven't read a newspaper, but in, in, I don't know how many years, but there was a certain newspaper that used to have comics. Do they still have it? Anybody read? I don't think, do, do they print newspapers? They still have it? They still newspapers. They still print it? I mean, I know like Jewish press, because yeah, yeah. you gotta read it on Shabbat, but like, newspapers New York Times, Wall Street Journal, they still print? Okay, for the old people, right? Eventually it's gonna go away. Uh, the printing press is gonna eventually go away. So, um, the, they used to have a comic section. And in the comic section, um, you know, so some people would read the news, I would just jump into the, you know, that, and I always, for some reason, I always used to find it, and I, even since I was younger, I used to find it very comical. There was the, what is it called, the, the astrology section, or like the fake section, the imagination section, I don't know what they called it. Astrology section. Astrology section, you know, like, and you had there like, it was always a woman. Horoscopes, horoscope. It was always a woman, you know, like a professional, you know, like, Card reader, mind reader, blah, whatever, I don't know. You know, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, something from the other world. And, um, I was always enjoy it because everything would be, like, if you are a cancer, you're gonna meet someone special today. If you are a Leo, then you're gonna meet someone special today. If you are a, I don't know, I don't know, whatever it is, you're gonna meet someone, you know, it's all like such vague stuff, and I, I, I used to find, you know, that, that and, and the comics would make me laugh. Um, so, um, and he's talking about, this is when I was in, like, I don't know, maybe elementary or high school. And I always used to remember, so the picture that they would give for God, if they would ever give God, especially in the comic section, is there would be, it was black and white, but I always pictured it as a red sports car. Um, a red sports car, convertible. There's like one hand. God sometimes has sunglasses, sometimes not. He's got like long, wavy white hair, bald in the front. Um, and a long beard that's splitting and flying in the wind. Uh, there may be some tunes playing. I don't know what it, you know, and that would be God, you know, like, and, you know, this would be like the secular version of God. Now, if I were to tell you, God has no body. So, and you would picture God. What would you picture God without a body, but like a spiritual body? You know, like something that goes through. Like, we can't comprehend no body. Like, cause we have to associate something physical with some, cause we can't comprehend something that's not physical. Even if something that's not physical, we comprehend as a light or a body, but that things can go through, you know, like different, you know, different ideas. So if, when we're speaking about that God has no body, so the basic understanding that God has no body, that we could, that's like, okay, that's understandable. But once we go deep into it, like, we can't really comprehend that to the extent. So the fact that God has no body, that we understand with knowledge. But once we go into the depth of it, then we're like, wait a minute, God has no, what, what is that? You know, like, we can't understand, we can't comprehend it with our human hint- intellect. We can't comprehend the depths of this. So that's where, it, that's where knowledge go, takes a backseat and faith goes and, and brings it, uh, you know, takes the, the, you know, the front seat. You know, then you have the idea of things that didn't happen yet. For example, Mashiach and Tchiyat 
how do you have be- belief in this? If it, like God, the Torah, this all happened in the past. Okay, fine, so I do believe that. How do you have belief in something in the future? Now, has there anybody who has not been here yet to the Niagara Falls? Okay, do you believe, do you know with 100% understanding that there is a Niagara Falls? Do I believe there's an I Maybe everybody's lying to you. <laughs> like, we're all in on it. I've been to Niagara Falls, beautiful. Excellent. I don't want to call the person next to me a liar. Right. Like, right. Not you, even though she thought she was not a friend. Okay. So, um, about, right, right. So the idea is like this. If you trust somebody and you see enough evidence for it, then even though you didn't see it with your own eyes, you believe it, not to the extent that you believe it, you know that it exists. Like you know with accuracy that it doesn't exist. There is um, there's something in South America, and I forgot what it's called, that had a very, very beautiful waterfall also. Um, it's, if I'm not mistaken, it's one of the seven wonders of the, you know, of the earth. Um, what is it called? I don't know. I, you know, no, it's waterfalls. It's like waterfalls similar to Niagara. Um, I may be way off on this. I don't think so. I think there is. Yeah, it's, it's not, not only Niagara Falls. Now, Niagara Falls I've been to, and it's beautiful. I haven't been to the one in South America, but I know with 100% accuracy, I, there's not, like if somebody were to bet me, I would say, listen, would you put down $100,000 to know if that exists? I would say, yeah. I would feel comfortable to put that down because I have such confidence that that, that exists. Now, why does that exist? Either because I know people, like you said, like I know people that went there. I have, you know, I've seen pictures. I've seen videos of it. I've seen documentaries of it. I've seen documentation of it, you know, so on and so forth. So the more information they have, the more knowledge we have. Now, say that you didn't see any documentation, but you have so many people that you trust with 100%, you trust with your life, that told you that this exists, you will believe that in itself. Now, because of the trust that we have in the Torah and, the, and, and in God, God said that Tchiat HaMetim and Mashiach will come, that is enough to know with 100% accuracy and certainty and knowledge that this is true and this will come. Even though that something is in the future. Yeah. Um, the requirement to believe in these um, principles of faith is... Um, so the basic understanding, so it's an excellent question. Should we know this or should we believe this? If you go to the, the, the translation of it, it's we should believe it. But the basics of it, we should, we should know. Right, right. We can't know everything for, you know, because there's always, 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 always. But knowledge, you should know it as if you know, put it this way. Uh, this, ha- this building that we're sitting in, did someone create it? Do you know that for 100%? Uh, so just like this, if that's the case, just like this, you should know the same things to the same level. That the 13 principles of faith, just like you know that this building exists. By the way, that's the idea you hear of something called a munapshuta, simple faith. Anybody ever hear this, uh, this concept? A munapshuta? People don't understand what the difference is. What's a munah? What's a munapshuta? You know, people that, you know, a munah faith, we understand. But a munah, a munapshuta means simple faith. What does it mean simple faith? Just like simple faith means that there's certain things that you know without having to go through sophisticated knowledge to go on to understand it. For example, that the w- God exists in the world, that should be emunapshuta. That's simple faith. You don't have to go through so much to understand it. If you're not intellectually honest and you're going and you have another agenda, fine. Then you're not, then of course there's nothing to talk about. But if you're an intellectually honest person and you're looking through the world, you see that God exists. I mean, you can't be that blind and that idiotic not to believe that God exists. You must be the, the, the that's emunapshuta. That's simple faith. That's the idea that you should understand these 13 principles of faith. The 13 principles of faith is that God exists in the most simple way, you know, uh, possible. So now, um, the, you know, there's a question that I get asked often. 
amazing gotten over here is you have people that serve God through wrong religions. Christianity, you have people that serve God. So, so let's go through some Hindu religions. Um, you know, they, but they, they, their intent is really good. They want to serve God. They really want to serve God. Is it their fault that they got the wrong religion? They were raised in the wrong religion. Is it really their fault that they're not in the wrong religion? So I want to share with you, um, something that Rabbi Pinkus goes and explains like this. It says, I'm going to give you two scenarios. Scenario number one, there's a swindler. There's a guy who wants to steal money from people. What does he do? He sends out, you know, declarations, you know, before he goes into a certain town. And he says the emperor, the king, is coming to this town. And back then when this, you know, fake story happened, um, was, because it's a mashal, uh, is, it, you know, there was no, you know, there was no internet. There was no newspapers. There wasn't pictures of the king. You know, there were, you know, there were portraits of the king, but that stood in the, you know, in the palace. It didn't go out to the entire kingdom. Nobody actually, people that lived in far out, you know, realms of the kingdom, they didn't know how the king looked. So he would send out a proclamation, you know, like, a, you know, somebody send out of there, the king is coming in two days time. Then in two days' time, he hires a bunch of white, beautiful horses, a bunch of guards, and he says, just walk in front of me. And he sits in this beautiful carriage, and he calls himself the king. And people come over there, and they shower him with gifts and presents and whatnot. Now, you know, the king hears about this, and he goes and he visits this town. And he gets very upset at them. He says, you thought that I was a king? And they said, listen, my, my dear king, I'm sorry. We wanted to honor you. We didn't know any better. And the king, even though that he knows that they're true, He's, he's still upset by it. He's like, I don't understand, but you should know, like, wh- you know, you think I'll come with six horses? I'm the king. I rule over so many countries. You think six horses would do it for me? All this thing? Still, you're in the fault. But imagine a different scenario. The same idea, the guy wants to swindle the king, but instead, in this, this, uh, this uh, village, but instead of sending, putting himself in the carriage, he takes a donkey, and he puts a donkey sitting in the carriage. And in the, do- and the donkey puts on a royal robes and a crown, and then he duct tapes a, you know, some sort of scepter onto his, you know, paw. And they per- parade this, you know, carriage to town. And everybody looks in and be like, oh, the king, the king. And they throw, they throw jewels and they throw money at him and throw money at this, at this donkey. When the king hears about this, he's going to take the people and he's going to sentence everybody to death. But the people are going to say, but we were doing it for your honor. Well, that's all we cared about was only for your honor. The king says, that's exactly why I'm going to kill you. He says, you think that I'm a donkey? He says, that's how what you think I am? It says, that is the biggest, you think that's honoring me? That's a disgrace to me. The same idea is when people go and they follow a false religion. They follow a religion that has many arms, an elephant face. Well, this is God. They're like, this is God. I, you know, it's not a, it's, it's not, a, you're not trying to honor God. You're disgracing God if this is what you think God is. You think God has to go and impregnate him, part of himself in a virgin? And then he comes out and then he has to die for everybody? It's like, that's what you think that God is? No, that's your fault. That's your fault for disgracing God. The number one step in understanding a relationship with God is understanding who you're dealing with over here. If you think that God has to bring himself down to a human being, part of himself, a son of himself, part of, well, depending on where you're going to in Christianity, right? There's 200 different, whatever, thousands different, uh, you know, variants of this thing. And you're going over here and be like, but we only meant to do good. You have to use your intellect. Yeah, true, you have to know good. And again, there's always a tension ish, but there's always different scenarios where only God can judge. But the basic understanding of this is that if you don't know these things, yes, that is your fault. That is the severity of this, uh, you know, these 13 principles. The, you know, so that being said, let us begin to go through the, let's start with number one. Number one, hopefully we'll get to number two, but we'll try, we'll start with number one. Number one, this part, I apologize, I'm gonna say it in Hebrew. Um, 
Aviti, Bashat. I mean, excuse me. I mean, you know, let me. You, this is very important, and I'm going to translate it. I believe with complete faith, which really means I I understand with complete knowledge. That the Creator, blessed be His name, who bore umanik. He's the Creator. Umanik is like the guide, the supervisor of everything. to all of the created brings. and He alone asa. He has loan has made makes and will make all things. That is a translation of the first one. Now let's just understand this. Now, by the way, the the Rambam also brings it down. If somebody does not it says that there's no God, has no share in the world to come. Like this is like the you know like there's no even pleasure that you get. Like there's no God. There's like no pleasure from getting that. Like do not play with fire. Uh, you know if you think that there's no God, no share in the world to come. Obviously, you can do tshuva, you can come back to it, but that's a very, very basic understanding that you have to believe that there is a God. Now, there is a biblical uh, source of this in Exodus, in Shemot, chapter 2, 20, verse 2. It says, Anochi Hashem lokecha. I am the Lord your God, that I took you out of, the, out of slavery. This is referring to out of the Exodus, out of Egypt. The Ramban and the Sefer Chinuch goes and says that this wording of the Torah says that this is including also the God of creation. Which means is the God, when God introduced himself to the Jewish nation, he introduced himself as, I'm the God that took you out of Egypt. But says the Ramban and the Sefer, look, this is including also the God of creation. So ask the Ibn, Ab- Ibn Ezra, it says, why doesn't God just say, I am the God of creation? What's greater, God of creation or God of the Exodus? God of creation, you can't even compare it. God of the Exodus means he was manipulating the creation. God of creation means that he created everything. Why didn't God introduce himself to the Jewish people? I am the God of all creation. Says the Ibn Ezra, says because the creation, nobody can comprehend, nobody can understand. But Exodus, I'm speaking to the people that were there. I, I'm just telling you, I'm the one that took you out. God says, I'm the one that took you out. That is something that you're able to understand. But the fact that God says it just by referring to the Exodus is also including the fact that God is the God also of creation as per the Ramban and the Sefer HaChinuch. Now, the Ramban also says on the same uh, verse that the prerequisite of any of the mitzvot means that you believe that there is a God. That is a prerequisite. I mean, some of these things are like, duh, you know, like obviously, like what would you think otherwise? But I have to say it based off conversations that I've had with people. So, and soon maybe I'll give you some explain, uh, you know, you know, examples of, of what. The, the scary thing about this, that if somebody goes, uh, you know, idolatry, the scary thing of like, um, believing in other gods is, Here's a question. Uh, let's see, I don't know if you guys know. Do we get punished for our thoughts? No, no. no yes. Machloket, yeah, yeah. always a good answer, right? So it depends. If we have thoughts of idolatry, you get punished for that. Other thoughts, not so much so. But thoughts of idolatry, you get punished even for just the mere thought of idolatry, you get punished for it. And by the way, if you want to look it up, it's in Gemara and Kiddushin, chapter, uh, page uh, 39a. The... The idea of, of this, number one, that, that God is a creator. Now, we have to understand what it means by creator. We call it a bore. Bore is a creator. Now, the way that God created is something called, in Hebrew, yesh mi'ayin. Yesh mi'ayin means that God created from nothing. When we think of creation, we think, uh, you know, there's a creator, inventor. is a good word. If someone takes something, he doesn't invent something new. He takes the common, you know, elements that we have, and he makes a combination of them, that no one has ever made before. So he invented this. He didn't create per se anything. He just put together a new equation to a mathematical problem that wasn't there before. But a creator of God, the yesh mi'ayin, someone that created out of nothingness, that only comes, that can only be God. That, that means that he created 
from like absolutely nothing, created something. Like we can't even begin to, to comprehend that. The idea of this is that even, excuse me, even from the extent of a small ant to the far ranges of galaxy, everything God created. Now when we say that God created these things, we're saying, we're not talking about, you know, when we think about creation, we think about, you know, people, animals. It's you're talking about anything from the, anything in planet Earth, um, anything from angels. Angels are also created beings. Angels didn't always exist. Time and space didn't always exist. Time and space is a creation. Try to wrap your head around, you know, around that. The world itself did not always, always exist. The universe itself did not always exist. God always existed. The universe, time, space, matter, all that became into, you know, into creation. Even, well, even heaven. Heaven is also creation. You know, in the beginning, the first pasuk, God created the heavens and the earth. God created the heavens, the shemayim, the angels, all celestial beings were created. Um, And then... So, So God is not in heaven? Like, wait, like, I don't know. God is everywhere. Right. It's a difficult concept. It's not, it's not, the, when you start speak, like, if you're born religious, you're like, okay, this is true. If you're not born religious, you start thinking about it. But even, once you start, like, once I, like, I'll put some thoughts into your mind, be like, wait, huh? Like, uh, what is life? You know, like, you're like so confused. Like, what am I doing? Like, what's, it, it really confuses you. And that's where you realize that there's a certain point that's knowledge. After that, we're not going to be able to understand it. That's faith. Like, we can't understand nothingness. Can you understand? When I say nothingness, what do you picture? Black. Usually it's black. You can't picture nothing. We don't know what nothing is. When I picture infinity, what do you picture? An eight. Sideways. <laughs> yeah. um, so, so, but the idea is that we can't, we can't comprehend these things. We, can't, we, 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 don't, we don't understand this, this idea. But even furthermore, the Jewish souls, the neshamot, all souls were also created. Now this brings a big question. But I understand. Aren't we a part of God? Aren't we a part of God? God created us in the, in the image of God. Aren't we a part of God? I had a long conversation with someone. I don't know why it was a long conversation. I think I've mentioned this person before. He, um, you know, we were having a long discussion. It was actually in the middle of a class. And, um, and then he, he threw out this, you know, thing, this word garbage, uh, which I'm going to try to explain. He was like, I'm God. Same <laughs> uh, No, he was not. He was on drugs, as to my, to my knowledge. And he's like, and then he's like, and then he's like, but you're also God. <laughs> I'm like, and this is your brain. That's not mine. This was your brain. Just went, because there's nothing in there. You know, like, you know, like, I'm, you know, and he went and, and it was a long conversation. He's like, no, I'm God. You're God. We're all God. I'm like, no, we're not. We're not God. But like, yeah, we're created in the image of, and he tried to go, and he very, very much, very much misunderstood this concept. We're not God. Are we God-like? We are created in His being. We have tremendous power. We have free will. We have so much like God, but we're not like God. To what extent? Says Rabbi Shishan Pikas, he explains like a mirror. You're looking into a mirror. Now, when you're looking into a mirror, that... Now, if anybody has a mental illness, you know, like, you're the same person, right? So, like, you're not two different people. It's the same, it's the same person, but one is real... The other is nothing. There's nothing. There, there, there's nothing with that. That, that you know, the, the reflection of it. One is 100%. You know, real. The other is just a mere reflection of it. Has no existence of its own. That is how we understand God and humans. Now, 
We're created in the image of God. Now we have very, very much similar to God in, in, in many aspects, explained to Rav Shem But we're that mirror version. We're like nothing compared to God. Just like an ant and God is, an ant is nothing compared to God, so to humans and God are nothing compared to God. We're not God. We don't have God. You know, we're, we're like, it's funny because I, I, get, I get this, you know, more often than I would anticipate, you know, people tell me that they're the Mashiach, um, that they're God, that they're, you know, I get the most interesting people that, that you know, that I get to speak with. The, um, you know, it, it's, it's very simple. You are not God. And if you're telling me that you're the Mashiach, let me just, like, just everybody out there, you're not. If you have to come to tell me that you're the Mashiach, you're not the Mashiach. Okay, that, that, that's all I, I know. Like, I don't anticipate the Mashiach coming to me you know, if only, if only I could go even to the close of the feet of the Mashiach, I'll be very happy. The Mashiach is not coming to me saying, you know, in an email nonetheless, you know, like, you know, Mashiach at gmail.com. And I'm like, hey, you know, Rabbi, I am the Messiah. Um, I want to reveal myself, but um, there are some issues that we have to discuss beforehand. Delete, you know, call the man with the white lab coats, you know, you know, going on over here. This, this you know, let's hopefully we'll stop this in its track. Don't email me. As simple as that. I I have nothing to. If you're the Mashiach, God bless you um, and uh, Godspeed. I guess uh, you know. I don't know what more I could say. You know. You know to that extent. But people put in their mind. It's just a misunderstanding. It's a misunderstanding. It's not their fault. It's not their fault that they. It's a misunderstanding. They go and what happens is if you're reading the Torah, you don't understand. Uh, you know. I, I gave every time I give a class about a certain subject, I get. Um, questions about the subject for years ago on. To this day, I gave a class maybe two years ago about dreams. To this day, I get almost weekly dream interpretation questions. Uh, and again, I don't mind it if I can help anybody to make anybody, call, you know, by all means, whatever they can do. I gave a class on reincarnation. I get questions, I think I'm the reincarnation of this person. By all means, that's nothing against. If, if I can help anybody, I'm more than happy to help it. But that person. But people sometimes get a misunderstanding of a certain subject and they take this subject and because of this misunderstanding, they go through such a, a big, you know, like, uh, you know, a windfall, uh, you know, that, that, that they go into such a wrong turn that they're completely misunderstanding the entire, the entire concept, uh, you know, of this. The idea that we're created in God's image means that we're created in God's image, but just know that you're not God. We are not God. There's God and there's us. God is infinite. We are, we're a created being. The, you know, that, you know, the idea of it, when you begin to try to think about like space, you realize that before the world was created, there was no such thing as space. There's no such thing as up, down, right, left. Can we understand that? We don't understand what that means, no space. Can you understand what something means as no time? We don't understand what it means, no time. But what does that mean? Like you're frozen? Like no, you can move, but there's no time. We can't comprehend it. There are certain things that we cannot grasp. This is something that goes, um, you know, that goes into the, the, the realm of this is faith. The even imagination. You know, imagination, some people have a, a, a fantastic imagination. I remember one time, um, I was in high school, and in my building, in high school, there was a next door building that was a synagogue, and sometimes people would sit there and learn. It was like a quiet, small synagogue. And I don't remember why, but one time I just like randomly strolled in there, and then it was a big synagogue, the entire synagogue was empty. There was, I had a friend of mine, that was just sitting in there in the middle. It was benches. It was like a bench synagogue. Uh, you know, they didn't have any, t- any, any, uh, um, any, any tables. It was just a bunch of benches. And I had a friend of mine that was sitting in the, like, 
pretty much smack in the middle with his hands like this, you know, around it, and just staring straight. And I walk in, and he doesn't turn around. He's, like, staring straight. And this was, by the way, before there was, like, Bluetooth, and you could speak to yourself, and it doesn't consider, you know, wacky. And I walk in, and I see him just standing there, and I just wait. I, you know, I don't I, and he just he didn't move. So I walked, I walked up, and I walked up closer, and he's still, like, completely focused you know, on it, until, you know, the point that, it, it was like, you know how sometimes you, it's like you're there, you feel like you're there for like 15 minutes, but it's really there for like four, so I don't know how long it was, but it felt like 15 minutes, and I was just like staring at him like, when is he going to turn around, like, you know, now, it became from like a curiosity to like, all right, you know, you're a teenager, let's see how long this lasts for, it sounds like fun, you know, so, and like, it, and he was there, he was just like staring straight, to the point that I came closer, and I sat down right behind him, still nothing, I made noise, nothing. This guy was like zoned out. Until finally, I leaned forward, and I'm like looking at him, and he's looking straight, and I'm like, what you doing? <laughs> and, he, and he like jumped, like he was like, he's like, what? And, and you know, he's a, you know, like, he was a very, very close friend of mine. I don't know, I haven't met somebody that had a greater imagination than him. And, you know, like he was very into movies, very into like, you know, the, the, the fantasy world. And he's like, and he saw me, and he's like, you know, I was like, okay, I'll, you know, I'll get to like, and he just started explaining to me the scene that he was playing in his mind. Now, he had these demonic zombie creatures that were coming out of the Arona Kodesh. And they were like, and he was explaining to me, and they were like coming at me, and they're going over each of the thing, and their bones are popping. To such detail, I was, it was a story. I was like, what happened next? You know, like, I was like, it was so amazing. And like, I've never met somebody with such an imagination. It, it was like for 10 minutes, he was explaining to me the scene. That was like apocalypse that was happening in the Bet Midrash Young Israel that we were sitting in. You know, like it was an unbelievable, you know, an, an unbelievable scene that um, that I, to the extent that I still remember the details till today. That's how that's how that's that's the extent of, the, of his imagination. I've never met somebody with such with you know with such imagination. Um, I don't know if he'll ever listen to this class, but if he does listen, he'll know who I'm referring to. Um, I remember one time. Um, and if he does see this, I love you, brother. You know, yeah, you're great. Um, this is just too entertaining to like yeah, pass up. Um, he was very into uh, you know movies and that that fake world, and I've never seen anybody ever do this in my life. And I saw him once. Instead of learning one time, he was in the Ezrat Nashim section in the Beth Midrash. He was in the woman section of the Beth Midrash, which is usually quieter. And he had like these papers out there, and he was writing like very intensely. And there was tons of papers. I go to him, I'm like, what are you doing? And I'm looking at there. It's a list of all the movies that he has ever watched in his life. I'm like, what, what are you doing? And he's like, and he, what he was doing was he was calculating all the movies that he'd ever seen in his life and how many hours he has wasted. That's like, that's crazy. I'm like, you know, I know this is not learned to out, but this is important stuff. You know, like, let me help you out. You know, <laughs> so like this is good. This is important stuff. He was like, he was, his mind was in a different thing. But even if you take somebody with the most fantastic imagination, there's a limit to how much imagination you can have. There's a limit. Like picture, we're in this room. Can you picture five million people in this room? You can't. And if you can, can you picture five billion? There's always a limit to that imagination. Say you have a car. What's the most popular? Honda Accord, right? The most popular car. Say you take ten Honda Accords. And you each put them without compressing them into each other. Is that possible? You can't. We can't. Even our imagination, we can't comprehend things that are beyond our grasp. Now, even our imagination is finite. Even things that we think that are infinite 
is finite. God is the only thing that is infinite. Nothing compared even to our imagination. We can't even begin to understand the concept of, you know, of God. The, you know, the idea, is anybody here familiar with the idea of pantheism? Pantheism is the, is the idea that the God is with the universe. Now, I think it's similar to the concept. I don't know if this is the exact same concept. You have people that say, um, the universe sent me this, the universe is guiding me, or something like that. I am part of the universe. Um, always things that I have, about, like, when someone says that, I have like 10 questions lined up. You know, like, I'm like, you know, like, I'm like a reporter. I'm like, okay, excuse me, you just said that the universe, I have some questions for you. You know, like, and I have like 10 questions. Like, what do you mean? Like, it doesn't make any sense to me. But when someone goes and thinks that God is part of the universe, that is not what Judaism thinks that. God is not part of the universe, which means is if the universe doesn't exist, God exists. If we don't exist, God still exists. We're, God is not part of the, God, you know, is everywhere, is in the universe, but God is not, is not part of the universe in the sense that that's Him. That's who He, you know, He is. Um, the, okay. So that's idea part A of one, of thing. Now that we said God is a creator. God is a creator created from nothing. Now, oh, and I thought I would get to two. Okay. So, um, God, um, the, the idea also further is, it says, God, in the first one, it says, manik. God creates and manik and guides. Guides like supervised. It's something similar to hashgachapatit. Hashgachapatit is divine supervision. People don't realize, this is a very, very misunderstood, you know, concept in the 13 principles of faith. 13 principles of faith is God created and guides. Guides like supervised. God supervises everything. Hashgachapatit, divine providence, divine supervision of everything, also is part of the 13 principles of faith. Meaning that everything, let me say that one more time, everything, in slow motion, everything that happens is because God willed it to happen or God allowed it to happen. Everything happens because because God willed it to happen. This is something that, that's actually, people think, you know, okay, God didn't really want it to happen. God didn't want the Holocaust to happen. God didn't allow the Holocaust. No. Everything that happened and will happen and is happening is because God allowed it. That's Hashgachapri, this divine providence. God supervises everything. Again, from the smallest ant to the far-flung galaxy, God supervises every iota, everything. Again, something we can't comprehend. We can... Which is true. Which is why I devoted, I think, two classes or one class to it, particularly to why and how we understand the Holocaust. Um, again, we have to realize we don't understand God. We don't understand God and its concept. Now, you know, you know, I spoke to somebody fairly recently, an atheist or an acclaimed atheist or someone who thinks he's an atheist, that had a very, very strong problem against God. Like anger issues, like against, you know, like, you know, against God. Now, we try, when we think of God, we understand Him to our knowledge. We don't understand God to the extent that we can't understand nothing and we can't, you know, understand infinity. We don't understand God, we don't understand the problem, but we don't understand the, the, the equation even. Forget about the problem. But the fact is that if something happened, we know that God allowed it. Now why and how and how could there be such a... Only, there's only certain amount that we are able to know. But one thing we know is that God controls everything. Now if Hitler went... And Hitler just, you know, killed six million Jews. God allowed it to happen. Why and when and how and where? I give a whole class on that to try to explain. I don't want to get into that, uh, you know, to that, that concept itself. So again, it's a very difficult concept to understand. But there's a reason for everything. The, you know, the idea that everything comes from God to the extent that even celestial beings, astrology, people think, okay, if I know astrology, I can manipulate, you know, that and I could, you know, demons, angels, these things are all, they don't have their own free will. They don't have any choice of their own. Everything comes directly from God. 
Everything comes directly from God. To the extent that angels and celestial beings and astrology is like God using a glove, explains the Rabbi Shemesh in this hand. Now, what's the difference between a glove and a stick? Now, let's get a little bit, I don't want to say morbid, but morbid, I guess. You take a bat and you start beating somebody with a bat, right? Now, you have your strength, and now you also have the bat, the bat, you know, its weight, its strength also comes into, in, you know, into play. That's why people, they have brass knuckles, and that's why people have knives, because they're not using their own strength, they're using their own strength, plus the strength of the object that they're using to fight with. You're taking a bat, you're bashing somebody with a metal bat, that's gonna hurt a lot more than bashing somebody with a wooden bat. Because it's, you know, depending on the substance, depending on the element, depending on what, you know, the, you know, so many different, how big it is, how heavy it is, so many different factors depend on it. But if you take a glove, a very simple glove, you take a rubber cleaning glove, um, and you hit somebody with it, the glove is not doing anything. You're doing everything, and the glove is just there. The way that God uses celestial beings, astrology, everything else, is like with a glove, not with a bat. You understand the difference? Not with a stick. God is, everything is under God's control. Nothing is under the angel's control. Nothing is under the demon's control. Nothing is under the star's control. Everything is directly under God's control. But God uses nature. God uses astrology as a glove to, you know, to use, uh, to, to, you know, to work nature and to work the, you know, the earth. The idea of this is that when we're going and we're thinking about God, God, have you ever heard this idea? This is an idea also that, that a lot of people have mistaken, you know, you know, mistaken it, that um, God creates you every second. Have you ever heard of that? Has anybody ever heard of that? God creates you every second. Like everything, everything that you do, like every second, you're just like instantly created. Like if God will stop create, like God, creation wasn't the, just the first six days of creation. Every second, God is recreating everything. Now let me try to, you know, to, you know, to, to explain that. The, uh, Napoleon, the, um, you know, he, he wanted to have statues everywhere of him before he died. Now why? He, in his own understanding, he didn't think that his soul would see it. Like why did he need to have statues? Stalin had to have his portraits everywhere. Why? After he dies, what's going to... People go and they chase fame. They chase money. They chase power. For what purpose? They want to be part of history. Yeah, exactly. But the question is, why? Why? What's going to make a difference after you succeed on it? Especially if you're an atheist. Like, what's going to make... Uh, you leave a legacy. Who cares? You know, you're, now you're a tree. Well, it depends on the atheism that you practice. But I'm saying now you're nothing. Whatever it is, you know, like, so depressing. You know, I feel so bad for the atheist. You know, like, what happens if you die? Nothing. I'm, I'm sorry for your loss. You know, like, uh, you know, like your losses now. Forget about, you know, what happens in the, you know, you know, in the future. The, the, you know, the idea with this is that, is, is that God creates us every second, meaning that we don't have any existence at all. We are only here because God wills us. To the, to the extent, you, you want to hear a scary concept that would sort of like, you know, blow your mind a little bit? If we're created every second, our memories are created every second as well. Imagine like, cause you don't know this. Imagine you are created right now. Right now with all your memories. Like, you didn't come to class. You are created here with the memory of you coming to class and me saying the past thing. Right? Like, imagine that for a second. Right? You're like, this. Also, you don't know if you're in my imagination. Yeah. You could be dreaming. Depending on the people. I had conversations with this. It is so amazing with the conversations I have with people on this subject. It is so entertaining. Because, you know, you get this on all wavelengths. Maybe I'm dreaming. I'm like, don't jump off a roof, you can't fly. You know, like, whatever, you know, let's start with that. You know, like, let's go, you know, with that. Yeah, it, it, well, that's true also. It doesn't, like, scare my sister. Like, how do you know I'm really me? Like, maybe I'm somebody else. And just... Yeah, and, and it's a concept <laughs> which is... It's at night and dark when I used to say that. Never a good, uh, you know, never a good concept. You know, it reminds me. 
when I was in um, when I was in sleepaway camp, I was 16 years old, and I heard about this story. And I don't know if the story is true or the story is not, but the story stuck to me. It's sick to my stomach from what, what you know what happened and how careful you have to be with this type of situation. What happened was, this is where the way the story went, is that they took a camper who was a very, very deep sleeper. You know, you have like these stories, they take a camper, a very deep sleeper, and they put him on the lake, and they just like push him, and he wake, and then they like, you know, 50 minutes out, they use a blowhorn, and he jumps up, and he falls into the water, and everyone laughs, and has a great time, and he goes to therapy for the rest of his life, right? So like, whatever it is, you know, so like this particular um, story was something that I'd never heard before, and I hope that it's not true. I don't know if anybody online or anybody here ever heard the story, but if it is true, please do let me know, because I'm very curious on this. Since I was 16, I remember the story vividly. The story goes like this. They took a camper who was very, very, you know, like in a you know, deep, deep sleeper. And they picked up his entire mattress and they brought it into the woods. And they put him like deep into the woods. And all you see is just, uh, is just trees all around. Then there was a group of like 10 people that they took talaisim. And they put it over their head to like it was over here. And then they took like candles and tor- or torches. And they held the torches, or the candles, and they walked around his bed, mummering Hebrew words around. Now, this kid woke up with ten guys in, you know, in a, in, you know, these talisim over their head, didn't know who he is, mummering Hebrew words with, you know, just walking around, he walks around, apparently this kid went crazy. This kid went, went psycho. I feel bad for all those 10 people or whatever the people that were involved. I really hope the story is not true. But like, you have to be careful when you're, when you're putting these, these types of scenes in people's minds. It can really like twist them off. So I don't mean to like, you know, like twist you guys off, you know, like whatever it is. Like, I don't mean to like scare you. But like, when you think about the concept, God constantly creates you. God constantly ha- brings you into being. That's a concept that is very difficult to understand. Like, what does that mean that if I, you know, like, again, we're responsible for all our actions, we have to do tshuva, don't think that, you know, okay, God created me now, so everything else is just a memory. No, 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 you're responsible for all your actions, but to the extent that it's it's really mind-boggling that how much we think we understand, we know nothing. We know zero. We know no, almost nothing, you know, about it. The, you know, and this also brings up, you know, the idea that the, you know, the reason why people go and they chase after fame, they chase after power, you know, things of like Napoleon and, and you know, and Stalin, they, they, the reason why they chase after is they realize that we're, we're not really, we're, we're here momentarily and then we're gone. We want to be a, somebody used a, you know, a, a terminology here before and I forgot what it was, but like you want to go through history. You want to be remembered as something because we realize we're nothing. We're nothing in existence. We want to be something. We have to go and create, we have to go and connect to God. That's the only way to go and, and be something. The reality of this is our connection to God. Now people go, and they use a fake reality. They're trying to chase something. They realize there's something missing in their lives. So they're going and they're chasing these fake, you know, powers. But really what they really need to look for is a connection with the divine. A connection with the, with God. The closer, the closer that we are to God, the more reality we achieve. This is what we say in Jeremiah chapter 10 verse 10. Hashem elokim emet. Only God is true. Everything else is nothing. The same idea that we say in Devarim, in Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 35. And od milvado, there is nothing other than God. By the way, this is a great, call it a skula, whatever it is. You're in a difficult situation, whatever it is, constantly in your mind, if you don't want to look crazy, you don't have to say it, but in your mind, you constantly repeat the, these three words, ain od milvado. There is nothing other than God. When you realize that there's nothing other than God, then God can manipulate the situation because it's no longer a miracle. You realize that there's nothing other than God. When you realize that there's nothing other than God, miracle and nature are the same. 
God is able, you don't need the ma- a merit that you need for a miracle, then if you realize the same thing, the same thing, Mendoza, we spoke about this you know, previously, that says just like vinegar will light, so too oil will light. Somebody who doesn't know what I just said, forget about it. Just move on. The, the idea with this is that if we say that everything is God, then why am I responsible for everything? Why am I responsible for anything? If everything is from God, then why am I responsible for anything? Now, and this, you know, this is something we spoke about free will, which I believe we gave two classes on it. But just to briefly understand it, that everything that happens, you have free will, but God allows it to happen. Now, if you wanted to understand the more depth of this, please go look at those classes in the Divinity series. I spoke, you know, two classes on, on free will that speaks about in depth on this, on this subject. But everything that happens, God has to allow it to happen. Now, just, you know, like a little bit of an understanding, not everything, you have free will. Not everything God originally wanted, decreed it to happen. You have the free will to change certain things. But ultimately, God allows everything to happen. If that didn't make sense, review those classes. If it does, awesome. Um, so now, the idea is, the, you know, the idea is, and we're almost finished. We'll finish in uh, you know, a few minutes. The, the idea is, is that when you, when you realize that, you know, one of the first you know, fundamentals of, of, you know, of Judaism is that you have to believe that there is a God. Now, just the fact that you, you know, a belief of God is not enough. Because in order to have a relationship with God, which is imperative, you have to know that God exists. Now, when in order for a relationship to work, you need two factors, at least, minimum, two basic factors. Number one, there has to be two parties. I know people have relationship with themselves. Um, sometimes it's healthy, sometimes it's not. That's your deal. You know, I'm not getting into that. Uh, but in order to have a relationship, you have to have two parties. And picture this. Imagine you have a matchmaker that comes up to you and says, I have the perfect guy for you. He is, you know, six foot six and he has, uh, uh, you know, he, you know, he's a multi-billionaire and he's a big tzaddik. He's a gadol adol and he's like, he does like everything. He's amazing. He's fantastic. He's, everything is perfect. And you're like, I, I love him. You know, like, I want to, you know, like, you're like, all right, you know, like, let's just do it. Forget about anything else. You know, like, that's not a relationship. A relationship is you have to meet the person and you have to connect to that person on a, uh, you know, on a, you know, on a level that you're able to connect to. You have to have two parties. One party, hypothetical party, is not enough. It has to be a real party. You have to know that God exists in order to have a relationship. That's number one. Number two, there has to be free will. You have to have free choice to be in this relationship. If you don't have free choice, then it's not a relationship anymore. I call it whatever you want, prison, whatever it is, you know, you know, forced relationship. It's not a relationship. A relationship has to come from free will. Now, this, we, we put ourselves in a catch-22. That, how do we know that God exists? If God reveals himself to us, the more that God reveals himself to us, the less free will that we have to have a relationship with him. Because, like, it's obvious that he exists. I'm going to have to have a relationship with him. But, like, if I don't know that God exists, then how can I have a relationship with him? You understand the, the catch-22? Like, at one, at one extent, like, you have to have a relationship with somebody, you have to know that that person exists. But the more that you know that God exists, the less free will that you have to have a relationship. The less that you know that God exists, the less ability that you have to have a relationship with Him. How do you do this? this is, you know, this is a, you know, you're, you're stuck, you know, you know, between a, what is it, a rock and a hard place. I never understood that, but let's move on. So, um, the, you know, the, you know, the idea, the idea with this is that we have to understand the, the Exodus. When, when, when the Exodus, uh, you know, Yitziat Mitzrayim, when the Exodus of Egypt came out, what was going on? Like, why did God need, to, you know, ten plagues? Why did God need a splitting sea? If God wanted to, God could have been to, you know, Moshe, God goes to Moshe Rabbeinu, hey, listen, go to Pharaoh, Pharaoh, depending on your religious level, right? Go to Pharaoh and tell him, hey, listen, 
we're uh, we're going to be booking tomorrow at about 9 a.m. Shachar's going to be 8, 9, we're going to book. You know, well, we'll have a small breakfast, 9.30 latest. We're Jews, so 10.30 latest, right? <laughs> we're out of here. Like, we're just going to march out. And God could have made everybody just, like, frozen, Egyptian style, everybody exactly the same, and everybody would have just gone out, and they would have just high-fived, you know, Paro, just, like, as they walked out. Be like, you know, adios, adios, you know, I don't know if they spoke Spanish, but whatever it was, you would have just gone straight out. Why did God have to make ten plagues and the splitting of the sea and Matan Torah? This whole big, you know, spiel, you know, of everything. This whole big, you know, think about it, a theatrical production that's going on over here. Because what happened was Exodus was not God taking out the Jewish people out of Egypt. God was showing himself to the world. God was showing himself, saying, listen, I exist, and this is how you're going to see that I exist. And God goes through all the ten plagues, going from the smallest to the, to the largest, to show that God is in control and is in power of everything from the smallest lice to the you know people, which is makot bechod, to every every idea from something that is not you know alive to like water to to every idea from every end of the spectrum. God controls everything. God was showing to the world, I exist. Here I am. Let's begin this relationship. Now that's why we have. A constant reminder of the Exodus. We have a constant reminder, constantly telling us, listen, God took us out of Egypt. Why? We, we're constantly like reliving this. Like every single day, okay, we get it, God. All right, you did something awesome. Why are we constantly reliving it? Because this is our connection that we have to God. This is how we know that God exists and God is in, in you know, that, that is God is in our life. We have this, and this is why we use the Tzidah time to, to, you know, to that extent. This is, you know, the, the imperative part of realizing that when you're thinking that God is God, you know, God is a, you know, creator, God is a being, there's a personal relationship that you need to have. Now we started off, we only got through one, and we're gonna end off with, you know, with, with, with one because of the, of the hour. But what do we end off? What is number one? The first, you know, the first, you know, you know, fundamental, the first foundation of Judaism is that God is not only a creator, but He's a guy. God supervises everything. And He alone, there's nobody else, He alone made, makes, and will make everything that will happen. Everything is under God's supervision. Bizarre will continue going to understanding more about God in the future classes, but that is, uh, you know, for the, for the first understanding, for the first animam, and for the first foundations of Emunah. Any questions? We have a question someone asked in the... Online? Yeah. Okay. Oh, amazing. Yes. Yeah, you um, how do you know that heaven and hell aren't just concepts? People that are too narcissistic to like believe that they just won't exist anymore. Yeah. Believe that what? They're too narcissistic to believe that they just won't exist in this world anymore. So oh, okay, that's a great question. The question is like this. The question is like this. So basically, they're asking, um, how do we know? So the question is like this: How do we know the heaven and Gehenom? How do we know that heaven and hell exist? Maybe people are so full of themselves that they never want to finish. They never want to end. So they created. And understanding that we exist forever. Similar to Stalin and similar to, you know, to, you know, to Napoleon, similar to that account. How do we know that we exist? You know, maybe we, it's a, it's a, it's a creation. And that reason is, is very simple. That if we believe in God and if we believe in the Torah, this is a very easy answer. Maybe I'll try to give a longer answer, but the very simple answer is if we believe in God and we believe in the Torah, the first, the first pasuk, God created heaven and earth. We know for a fact that God created heaven and earth. God created heaven. Heaven is the, you know, the, the other world. Heaven, hell, you know, when, it, when the Torah speaks about Sha'ol, it's referring to hell. We know that God created something else other than that. This is not our own understanding, our own bringing, be like, hey, listen, 
Let's interpret this verse to mean this because of what we feel. This is something that comes directly from God, from Tegadli, from Halsinai. This is something that comes 100%, you know, from the Torah. Nothing to do with our interpretation of it. So some people may say, hey, maybe you interpreted this particular way. No. Absolutely not. This is not an our own interpretation. This is the oral law. This comes directly from God, directly from the written Torah as well, that there is a next world to it. it well, it doesn't mention it out loud, you know, per se, like in the reward, Olam Abba. But heaven, hell, you know, you know, heaven, how do we know that there is existence? Again, the simple answer, the simple answer is because that's what it says in Torah. If you believe in the Torah, then you believe in that. But let's go out in a not a simple answer. Let's go give a different answer, not a simple answer. If there is a God, which most people, you know, even if they have a hard time understanding the Torah, will agree that there is a God. We have to understand what is the purpose of life. Is the purpose of life just this world? Now, we have to contemplate on that concept. If the purpose of life is just this world, then the creation in itself is an utter and total failure. You look at this world. How many people succeed in this world? How many people are satisfied in this world? You don't have to trust me. Just look at how much money the antidepressant drug makers make. You don't have to, you know, if if we're success, if God was successful in creating this world, there was no need to be so much antidepressant medication going out out there. What does it mean? Like you have some people, what's what's the purpose of this world? If, and this is really the the understanding of what is the purpose of creation. If the purpose, purpose of creation is this world, so then what? Is it for health? How many people are healthy? Most people, in fact, especially if you deal with hypochondriacs, forget about it. But like most people, they always have, everybody has some sort of health issues. Even it can be as small as allergies or as unfortunately as big as, unfortunately, the machla, cancer. You have people that have health issues. So if health can be the purpose of creation, because if this would be the purpose of creation, then everybody would be healthy. Maybe it's happiness. We just described happiness is not the purpose of creation. In 2015, if I'm not mistaken, there are, there was over 250 million prescriptions of antidepressants in America. And there was about 400, what, a little bit under 400 million, you know, human beings living in America. So, happiness, not the reason of, uh, you know, of, of creation. Because if it was, then it would be failure. And if God is an ultimate infinite being created this, can be that he would fail. We fail. We don't succeed. But God doesn't fail. So it can be happiness. Is it money? How many people are wealthy? What, the 1%? It's called the 1% for a reason, because it's 1%. What happened to the 99%? So it's not, it's not that. Is it marriage? Shalom bayit? I don't even want to begin to speak about that. You know, is it children? I, you know, again, not something that I want to even begin to speak. So what is the purpose of the creation? It must be that if there is a God, and if there is a reason for the creation, it was 100% with easy knowledge that the reason is not over here. There's something else that goes on in the afterlife. This is simply a postdoc. It's a simply a hallway to the next world. It's simply something that we use to earn our share in the world to come, earn our share in the next world. Do we know? Do we know why what? Um, why Hashem made the world? Oh, was the purpose of creation? Yeah, it depends on how you're looking. You see, like Yishayim says, God, why did the reason that God created the world? Because God wanted to give us the greatest pleasure. Again, I speak about this, I have a class, not in the divinity. We didn't exist before. Like, right. So, so you're making something to give it the best. You're treading on territory that's going to do this. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, we don't understand the whole concept of it. Yeah, God created us and... what he was doing before. Right. They so, there was other worlds. There is... Yeah, you could go into there was other worlds, what was God doing before. We cannot comprehend that. Just like we can't comprehend many things. There are certain things that we can't comprehend. And we have to come to knowledge, you know, with taking our arrogance and our brilliant, brilliant minds and saying, listen, there's some things that we don't understand. And it's always going to be that way. 
For example, men will never understand women. And the men that say, we understand that, are the men that have Shalom Bayit. The men that don't understand, they don't have Shalom Bayit. It's simple as that. Women, I don't know why you can't understand. I, you know, men, I can, you know, I can speak for men. Men, we know, we don't understand women. That's it. And we know, we take it, Emunash Lemani, I don't understand, I don't know, it could have been the 14th one, right? I will never understand women. That's the way that the world works. We don't understand everything in life. We don't. We don't understand everything in life. But we can begin to understand the basics we understand. The basics foundation of the Minutes of Faith, we understand with 100% knowledge. Yeah. You could you could extend it to that manner. Yeah. Right. But like, I feel like that's sort of encouraging. I guess not pursuing happiness in this world. But this world beautiful, and yes, there are a lot of people on you know who are on depressants, and I think you know people need to try to find. I, mean, I think it's also, in my opinion, like a purpose. You know, in this world to be as happy as we can be. One hundred percent. Not only not only you have there's that, a purpose. That is, a pur- that is something you, you have an obligation. You have an obligation yeah. to be happy. Like it's not, like when people are like, okay, it's my life. I'm depressed. What do you care? Like, no. First of all, it's not only depending on you because if you're depressed, you're making other people depressed. You ever had that person that comes in and goes like, oh, come on. You know, like you for, forget about that. Even yeah, you want to be happy for yourself. That's true. But even for other people, you don't have it. You have to like, oh, even you can't be happy. How do you be happy for somebody else? You're happy for yourself. But the idea is, that, yeah, 100. percent You have to be happy. You have to be on it. And that is what the Torah does. If you go through the Torah. And it, this is a guarantee. This is not a like, oh, listen, you could try me. If you go and you're becoming religious and you're becoming 100%, like religious, not like pretending to be religious. Like you're really religious, believing, you know, like going through everything, your life is going to be 100%. Guarantee happier than you are without it. 100%. There's no doubt. I've spoken to people. I've asked this numerous times. And I'm telling you with 100% accuracy that everybody that I've asked with, that I've become, and I deal a lot with the cure of the world. I deal with people that weren't religious and became religious. I ask this to everybody. Are you happier now or are you happier beforehand? I have never, ever, ever gotten the answer that I've, I was happier beforehand. I even converts. I even deal with converts. They say they can't, you can't even begin to, even the, you know, the, the most Hasidic, you know, Christians that ever existed, you know, the, you know, the people that go and they push other people, they've never been happier when they go into, in, you know, to Judaism, the true Judaism. You know, like you can't, the, the true happiness is here. The true success is right here. But son, there are some um, Christians, you know, who really believe are happy. I feel like if you believe... Drug addicts also believe they're happy. I mean, I mean what can I tell you? No, I feel like if you believe in... God or something that, that is true. in your control, then you're happy. So the Christians, if they believe Very true. their God is in control and they're not 100%. the ones, mm-hmm. then... 100% true. Yeah, if, if you believe in any religion, any God, you're already happier than an atheist. That's 100%. Well, they say it's better that if a guy believes in, in their God, then they don't believe in anything. It's worse not believing in anything, right? It's better, yeah. It's better to believe in a, a God than no God. Yeah. Rob, uh, Victor Miller, I believe, also says that same thing. Yeah. Well, isn't also in, in Torah, like you have basically, so Islam comes from Well, the right? monotheism, yeah, but you have, you know, reli- you know, idolatry, religion became before the Torah as well. Right. Not only the beginning of the Torah. The monotheistic, the big monotheistic religions like Islam and Christianity all branched off from the Torah. Mm-hmm. Some people lose their portion, and those are the people, those people, let's say, for example, that don't believe in these 13 principles of faith, or go against these 13 principles of faith, even if they did good, they don't have a share in the world to come. Very good question, and a very long question to answer. What does that mean if somebody, let's say, did a lot of good? 
What does it mean that he has no share or she has no share in the world to come? So when it comes to all... Just by not believing in the faith. Yeah. But keeping every other... Keeping everything else, but you're not believing in this, you have no share in the world to come. Keep all the 600 whatever mitzvot, but you you have no share in the world to come. But you did a lot of good things. You'll get rewarded for the good things. How? I don't know. I'm not God. Ask God. After 120. If you don't believe in the afterlife, you mean? Oh, what happens to you as a person? So there's a okay. So the idea is of we understand karet and no share in the world to come. So I gave class a very long time ago, maybe uh, maybe three years ago or something about karet. People that have uh, they lose a share of the world to come. What ha- what happens to these souls is a very very good question. What happens? Do they cease to exist? What happens if somebody who's going to be in Gehenom for an infinite amount of time? What has happened? There's a lot of things that speak about it. What happens to that soul? What happens to that for that person? Uh, not for now because I can't explain it in a in a one standing. But um, I don't do this. I don't even know if I spoke about this concept in, in itself. But there is a concept of what happens if somebody ceases to exist anymore, like they don't exist or they have suffering. It, it's it's a deep, deep capitalistic concept. It's not a simple concept. What happens if somebody loses share to the world to come? What happens to that soul? It's a very, very deep concept. Also, when you're dealing with reincarnations, and th- there's a lot of different factors that come into it. Ultimately, we lead, we, we lead to a point that only God knows. That's where, that's where we lead to the point. But there is there's a lot of understanding that we could have on this. Any other questions? No other questions? Okay, awesome. Chazak You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.